Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 79, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. And me, Ravi Abbott. Right on the eve of the biggest weekend of the year. Oh God, this is Play Expo coming up, isn't it? Play Expo weekend in Blackpool. Oh, I love this. I love this show. I love going to Blackpool, seeing you guys, having a beer. You know what? I'm getting married in October. I was thinking this on the way in today. I've got my stag do coming up in August. This is going to be a bigger weekend than my stag do, guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> this should have been my stag do. Yeah, yes. stag do is going to be a sit down and a, a, a couple of drinks, isn't it? This is going to be a full weekend of madness. Yeah. Now, we did go to Blackpool last year for Play Expo, and it is, you know, to me, it is my favourite event on the retro calendar, not only because everyone gets together. Going out in Blackpool, I mean, it's the kind of place where probably you haven't been since you were a kid if you had no reason to go no it kind of feels like the 90s is still alive in blackpool <laughs> you know we went last year didn't we after the show probably about five in the afternoon and it felt like we we're in a beefer <laughs> yeah there was a, a a guy drinking wkd and there was a bar playing pretty green eyes at full volume <laughs> and it was like three in the afternoon or all something. the terrace doors wide open yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. so it is you know it's such an amazing weekend we look forward to this every year and this year especially so because we are proud to announce that we are officially part of the UK's biggest retro gaming show. This weekend, we're going to be there at Play Expo in Blackpool, hosting the interview stage on the Saturday. How are we going to get any shopping done, Dan? I'm I'm disappointed now. We're going to have to get there early. Sunday, Sunday. We're going to have to get up early and look for some last-minute bargains. Brave the hangover. Yeah, we'll get guys to go around and spot stuff on Saturday and then hide it and tell us where it is. You know, of course, if you do want to bring us any games to the stage, that's always appreciated. Now, on this week's show, it is really a special All About Play Expo, which happens in Blackpool this weekend. I mean, if you're listening to this show on Friday when it gets released, you have still got time to book your tickets. We'll put all of those links on our website, theretrohour.com. And this week, our special guest is going to be Andy Brown, who is the MD of Replay Events, who organise this show, and also Console Passion as well. Oh God, I think I bought their whole stock of Amiga CD32 games when they were listing them. Well, they are, you know, one of the biggest retro retailers as well, aren't they? Yeah, the the biggest kind of online independent retro retailer, away from eBay, you know. So it is going to be interesting just to find out, you know, how a retro retailer earns a living in this day and age, kind of the struggles of it, the stuff that works well, and also organising these massive shows. I mean, you think we went to play Expo in Manchester um, last September, and it's like, it is like an aircraft hangar in that place. It is absolutely giant. And they also organise the um, gaming markets, so they're throughout the UK, and they're kind of, you know, real trader places. Rather than all the showy stuff, they've just got hardcore game trading. And even like corporate events and like, you know, go a bit with Dara O'Brien. They've oh, been yeah, helping on yeah. that recently. So it's going to be such an interesting interview. If you are coming to play this weekend, definitely stick around for this week's interview with Andy Brown from Replay Events and Console Passion. Now, I thought it might be quite cool just to kind of run through what we're going to be doing on stage on Saturday. Cool. Because we're going to be there in the, uh, the talks area on Saturday afternoon from midday until f- around 5 p.m. So we've got some massive names that we're going to be interviewing. So if you like this show, you know, if you listen every week and you enjoy the interviews that we do, essentially we're going to be doing a live Retro Hour podcast interview on stage. And if you guys can't make it, we are going to publish these interviews on the podcast. So, you know, you'll be able to sit at home and kind of listen to them as you would a, a regular Retro Hour. The only difference is we're doing it in front of people this time. Yeah, so we need to get booed or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff gets chucked at us, you know. We, we can edit that bit out. It'll yeah. be fine. So it's going to start with uh, Gary Bracey from Ocean Software. Oh, wow. We haven't really done much Ocean, have we? No, I mean, you know, we've talked about, like, you know, people that have worked with Ocean before, but getting actually the inside story. Because he turned around Ocean, didn't he? He really changed the fortunes of it with the kind of licensed games and getting all of the deals with those, you know, Batman and stuff like that. Well, speaking of Batman, your friend and ours, David Pleasance, you know, former MD of Commodore UK. We've had him on the show before. We're very good friends with David. And we're going to be hosting um, a little Q&A with him as well, doing an interview and then also talking about his new book, um, Commodore The Inside Story. And obviously David was the man who put together the Batman pack, so that ties in really nicely. Oh, yeah. And I think having him and Gary on stage together to kind of talk about the deal and stuff like that is going to be quite interesting, because that's never happened before. No, no, and that's a, that was an iconic game for the Amiga, and an iconic film, actually. I quite like that one. And then after that, Mark Kale from System 3 is oh going to join God. us on stage. I, I, I'm really excited about this one, because he's just done some fantastic games, and is 
the kind of legacy that System 3 have, it, it spans for such a long time period, all the way to, you know, PC, CD, ROM stuff. And he's kind of recently re-released Putty Squad as well, which was a, a lost Amiga game. So we can get all the kind of stories about that. Yes, yeah, so that's going to be amazing games. That myth... You know. if, yeah, and actually Constructor, they've done a, a new version, Constructor HD, and that was one of the first kind of, it was very like Theme Hospital mm. uh, kind of base game, but you were extra, uh, Constructor, I remember you had uh, little properties with squatters in them, and you had to kind of go and remove them, it's very funny. <laughs> you like your building kind of games and stuff, oh, yeah, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah, you never stop, Ravi, all, all, that mind's always on the go. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so, I mean, normally we don't kind of tease ahead of our guests. We like to keep it a bit of a secret, but I think you'll agree. Three pretty massive names oh, yeah. that are going to be joining us on stage at Play Expo in Blackpool this weekend. So please do come along. We're going to open up the floor to questions from the audience as well. And it's just going to be an amazing weekend. So if you're coming down, please do come say hello. If you can't make it, keep listening for those interviews in our future weeks of the Retro Hour podcast. Well, we, we might not make it if we do what we did last time, which was put avoid motorways on the actual GPS. And how long did it take, Dan? Well, in, in my defence, it wasn't my sat-nav I was using. <laughs> no, true. We took uh, Joe's girlfriends, didn't we, Charlie? Yeah. And I think her mum had been using it, yeah. And like, because it was the first time we'd driven from Nottingham to Blackpool last year. <laughs> and like, I'd looked it up on Google Maps and it said like two hours, 20 minutes. So well, I'm like, that's all right. But four hours later, like, <laughs> very scenic route, but where yeah, are we going? Yeah, should it take this long? What's this village? <laughs> we ended up getting stuck in a little town for about an hour, didn't we? Do you remember? Yeah, so, oh, God, yeah. This year, we're going to leave very early at like 7 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> the latest. We'll so be there. <laughs> we'll be there. And uh, we'll see you on stage from midday on Saturday if you are going to be there. Now, we've been thinking, because we do get a lot of tweets and stuff on this show. And it would be nice to kind of maybe have some messages that we read out at the start of each show, I think, because a lot of people get in touch and ask us questions, and we kind of reply in private messages, but it would be nice to read some out on the show. So we're just going to open this up right now. If you've got anything you want to ask us, anything you want to promote, or maybe you want to show us where you listen to the Retro Hour podcast. Oh, my God, a video that made me smile so much was posted on my Facebook. Um, well, on the Retro Hour one, actually. It was by a guy named Jury, and he's one of our listeners, and he was at a lake... And kind of, he had a sauna, he set the sauna on, kind of set his laptop down, cracked open a nice beer and listened to the retro. It was just amazing <laughs> to see us in a, uh, I think it was Finland, he was in another part of the world just listening to us. It was gorgeous, didn't it? Fantastic. I think actually looking at that video on the lake, we, our voices did kind of ruin the tranquility of that slightly. But... <laughs> <Yeah>. Hello! <laughs> <laughs> so we've opened up an email address, so use it for whatever you like. We might read some out on next week's show, depending on what the light, what we get. All you got to do is email us, show at theretrohour.com. Maybe you just want to say hello, let us know where you listen, maybe something to promote, ask a question, anything you want, show at theretrohour.com. Use and abuse that address, and uh, we'll read some out next week's show, hopefully. Now, before we get into the news, of course, we want to thank the people who do allow us to continue doing this show week in, week out. Because I look now, it's like what, nearly 8 o'clock on a Wednesday evening. Mm. It's a hot, sunny day. I'm looking at Facebook. All my friends are out in beer gardens and stuff right now. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're in here. Not that we mind. You know, we no, love no, doing no. this show. We really enjoy doing it. Yeah, yeah, we do. And what's always nice is if we kind of get a bit of help, you know, into the cost of running the show. Well, what was the thing that we had to do this week? T-shirts, flyers, yeah. all of that kind of stuff for the promotion at Play Expo. Yeah. So all of that has helped us kind of look a bit more professional. Yeah. So thank you so much, guys. And get the show out and about and get more people into it. You know, It's always nice if we don't have to fork out the whole thing out of our own pockets. So thank you so much if you've made a donation to the podcast this week. At Making the Hall of Fame, we want to say a massive, massive thank you to Steve Ruston. Andrew S. Buster. Henrik Anderson. And Nigel Clark. Who all made donations this week. If you'd like to do the same, you know, it can be as much or as little as you like. You know, every little euro, every pound, every penny, it all helps. Every well, Bitcoin. Yeah, we've got Bitcoin link as well. <laughs> so all you've got to do is head to theretrohour.com. We've got a PayPal link on there. Just fill in your email, it'll take you five seconds. Or the, uh, the Bitcoin link is on there too. Right, shall we get into some stories? Yeah, totally. Now, this really caught my eye this week. You know, last week or the week before, we were talking about that virtual reality Super Mario Kart. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, that looked really cool. How's about this? Augmented reality, Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> okay. Now, I'm going to put this link in our show notes at theretrohour.com. Um, if you click on this YouTube video, go forward about 20 seconds. There's a guy who, you know what augmented reality is? It's essentially wearing like a headset or glasses that kind of puts graphical generated objects it, in the real it world. It would be like the thing that Google Glass was trying to do rather than the... Um 
HTC Vive. You know, it's it's a layer of artificial layer over reality, isn't it? Well, this is on the Microsoft HoloLens, which is you know a similar kind of technology. And this guy using Unity 3D, he's recreated the first level of the original Super Mario Brothers game, basically in a park. This is crazy because the guy's actually dressed up as Mario <laughs> in, in the jumpsuit and he's just walking through a park. Bear in mind, only he can see what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> to everybody else would be like, yep, let's avoid that guy. But it looks incredible, doesn't it? How much fun does that look? That looks amazing. I, it seems fake. That's how good it looks. Yeah. You know? And he's actually filming this. I've just read the description. It's in Central Park in New York. He's doing this. Oh, wow. So, And you get to a bit here where there's like a hole and you think, it looks like he's going to fall down it. So... You know, I like virtual reality is interesting, but I think this takes it to the next level, doesn't it? It does, because it's like, our reality is so crisp and so nice and high definition. And this is just 8-bit blocks chucked in the middle of Central Park. It just looks so different. Imagine walking down like and seeing all this kind of stuff and having like, you know, like new wave retro music in your earphones. Oh, God. Like... <laughs> Sounds like uh, Ready Player One, that. <laughs> <laughs> so if you do get two minutes, definitely worth looking at this video. I'll include that in this week's show notes. Now, classic magazines, I mean, you know, you think pre-internet, kind of the era that we cover on this show, like the 80s and 90s in particular. Really, magazines were king before the internet took over. And if we go back to the, you know, the good old days, Crash Magazine on the spectrum is, you know, obviously one of the most iconic British computer magazines of all time. How many people have we had on this show that have said they started their career either advertising in Crash, entering a competition, or writing a letter? Yeah. You know, all of these people interacted with that magazine and it just helped create such a big, thriving kind of specky community. Well, the thing is, you know, we've talked to people on this show that went on to become like, you know, massive AAA developers. And you're right, they said, you know, I started by having one of my early games published on the, the cover tape of Crash magazine. It was such a big influence. And again, it, you know, I think anyone that kind of grew up in that era will remember, have fond memories of Crash Magazine. Such an iconic publication. And now, it is back. Oh, really? Wow. How, how Dan? How has this happened? Well, this is uh, our good friend Chris Wilkins. Ah, okay. I knew he'd be involved somehow. <laughs> Chris is always behind cool stuff like this, isn't yeah. he? <laughs> Either him or Sam Dyer. Those two guys have got this, you know, classic publication thing sewn up. Um, he's obviously behind Fusion Retro Books. He's done stuff like, you know, the uh, the story of the Commodore 64 in Pixels, History of Ocean Software that we've talked about on the show before as well. And he did a, a Spectrum book as well, didn't he, not long ago? Um, he's a machine. He is. And, you know, I met him actually at um, Revival a couple of months ago. Lovely guy as well. Now, what he's going to do is, this could be, his most ambitious project yet. He's going to put out the Crash 2018 annual. Oh, that is mega cool. I thought this was like going to be a, a restart of Crash and they'd do subscriptions, but it makes so much sense having an annual. Well, the exciting bit about this is Crash um, actually went on quite a long time. It finished in 1992 and the final issue was number 98. So what he's going to do is, so this is going to be basically a compendium by the looks of it. You know, there's only, the Kickstarter hasn't launched yet. There's a little video just kind of showing a bit of it. So I think it's going to be like a compilation of some of the best articles from Crash from back in the day. But also, he's putting in there the long-awaited issue number 99. Ah, I'm sure it's going to be full of Bagley. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it better be. Yeah. <laughs> For anyone that read that mag back in the day and always wanted a new edition of it, you've waited over like what, 25 years, but you're finally going to get the 99th issue of Crash Magazine. So this is a Kickstarter then that's going to start soon? Yeah, it launches on 21st of July at 9.30 in the morning. So the Kickstarter, we haven't got a link to it yet, but we'll put it on all our social media links, you know, um, Facebook, Twitter. I all hope that. that gets funded. That would be great. I'm sure it will. It's yeah. like... Very fast. Yeah, I mean, all, all of Chris's other projects have been funded, and he knows what he's doing in terms of Kickstarters. And I think with something this big, anyone that grew up on the spectrum loves Crash Magazine. Oh, and, totally. Oh, it's just iconic. That's, yeah. But do you remember as a kid as well, you'd always love getting Christmas annuals. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember the Beano annuals. Those were my favourite, yeah. I used to get the Beano Dandy. Uh, Blue Peter as well, actually. I used to get the Blue Peter annuals as well. Did you make all the stuff with sticky back plastic and all that? Oh, I made this Tracy Island, and uh, my dad forgot to put salt in. He was supposed to put salt in, 
and uh, you know it's made out of like plaster at Paris at home yeah. and the whole thing started to reek <laughs> like you know <laughs> a month later we opened the cupboard and we were like why is that smell oh it's the horrible Tracy Island and we checked it out or Maggot said it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I mean you know I-, I used to get like the real Ghostbusters annual at Christmas and stuff as well at the Marvel mags getting an annual is just really nostalgic in itself oh so. yeah especially with that hard cover as well and it, I looked at it and it said you know the Crash 2018 annual and I thought is it coming out next year but you remember that always bring them out of Christmas for the year ahead wouldn't they yeah, annuals yeah, that's how they did it yeah. back then so how nostalgic to find you know the Crash annual oh. hopefully new Christmas stock he must have year. just had a brainwave Crash annual I'm working yeah. up <laughs> good, good brainwave yeah. so we'll keep you up to date on that project now, there is um, a pretty cool YouTuber I've watched for years and years. Have you heard of Lawn Boys Post 1975? No, not at all. Well, this is a guy called Dave, and he's been on YouTube probably knocking on for about 10 years now. And he kind of he's a British YouTuber. Okay. Production values on his videos, he doesn't really focus on anything like that. He does a lot of, like, you know, going out into the wild and filming, like, retro pickups. He lives in Bristol, where I still live, actually, so I recognise a lot of the places he goes. But what he's really good at is doing, like, opinion videos. And do you remember, like, a few years, or probably going back about maybe seven, eight years now, you used to be able to do, like, um, tagged replies on YouTube to videos? Yeah, yeah. He used to start a lot of those, you know, that the bigger YouTubers would do. Yeah, yeah, I remember being in a few tagged vlogs, yeah. Shame they got rid of that functionality, really. It was quite nice. But he's still a conversation starter, and quite criminally, he's only got 4.5k subscribers. So he's really good as well. I mean, I'm going to put his YouTube channel because this guy needs more subs. He doesn't do it for that reason, but I've always watched his videos and really enjoyed them. But he often comes up with topics that give you like some food for thought. And today he did a video actually called, um, Have You Ever Thought You Have Too Many Games and Need to Do Something About It? Yes. (laughs) And I'm currently selling them all on eBay at the moment. I've just got too many. And the thing is, they were gathering dust. And I was listening to other podcasts and... You listen um, to other podcasts, right? Oh, my God, yeah. And they tried. had a Dreamcast Junkyard, actually. Had, Very good show. Yeah, had quite a big debate on play it, don't display it. And I, and I agreed with them a lot. I was like, why am I actually getting these items? It's to, I know I'm not going to get a complete collection. It's to fill that nostalgia gap inside my head. So I'm kind of going to sell them and reinvest into hardware. Because it can get addictive, can't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've decided to actually reach the modern age of gaming and add a big Amazon disaster this week, but, you know, I will eventually have that VR set up. Well, he actually talks about that that exact thing you mentioned there, that, you know, he buys games to play them, not to be kind of a display thing on a shelf or like a piece of art, you know what I mean? Yeah. You buy games because you want to play them. But he also mentions something that really resonated with me, that at the moment, particularly kind of, you know, PlayStation 2... Um, original Xbox, even like, you know, 316 PS3 games, you'll go into a shop and they're at that level now where they're like, they're impulse buys because they're so cheap. That's it. And I I understand people wanting to display stuff, you know, and it's just not for me anymore. Yeah. Like, I can understand having the complete collection of every Resident Evil game or, you know, you know a specific thing that you're really into and that, that kind of satisfies you a bit, but... Yeah, I just, I'm just not feeling it anymore. Well, you're doing it for the sake of doing it. Yeah, yeah not getting yeah. the pleasure out of it. But I mean, when you know, it turns into a grind. <laughs> well, I go to places like, um, you know, that's entertainment. Yeah, they've got a massive PS2 selection, and I would get to the stage where I just look at games on the shelf and I'd be like, oh, I love that, I love that, I love that. It maybe only be twenty quid. Yeah, but I come home with like you know twenty games, and they go on my shelf or in a box. Never played half of them. Some of them I've had for years, and I remember like, I was looking at my gaming collection the other day, and I've got a lot of games from like the recent generations that have been in their shrink wrap. This is, sounds quite criminal for about seven years. Wow, yeah, I've I've bought a lot of golfing simulators mm-hmm. that I've never played, and I'm like, why do I own so many golfing games? <laughs> I don't like golf, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And it's, it's just because it came out for that system. It's depressing on Steam as well because, you know, some of them you click and it tells you how long you've owned them and then it's like never played. How oh, many like, hours you've years. played, yeah. yeah. Zero yeah. point, like two seconds or something. But I mean, I think my worst story in regards to that was when I first moved here to Nottingham, probably about 2011 I moved here, early 2011, and I was walking through um, our shopping centre here, Broadmarsh. Um, there's like a retro video game shop in there called Playtime. And there was a girl in the middle and normally I walk straight past them. And she was, you know, one of those girls with a little stall and a clipboard, you know, trying to sign you up to a service. Yeah. I was in a good mood or something. Maybe she was fit. I don't know. <laughs> I stopped and talked to her anyway. And she said, oh, you know, she, she clocked my video game bag. And she goes, oh, you into games, are you? I was like, yeah, yeah. And we got chatting. And she's talking about, I can't even remember what it was now. It was one of those kind of, 
you know, like you used to get DVDs in the post. It was like a games kind of service like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can't remember which one it was. Yeah. Like uh, Love Film. or I think it yeah. was Love Film when they did it, actually, yeah. And she said, you know, you can sign up now. Um, if you don't like it, you cancel it. it. It's five quid. You return it, you get a new one. It's five quid a month or something. And I must have had a moment of weakness, and I did. First time I've ever done anything like that. They sent me the first game in the post, which was like one at random. And it was a game called Brink. I kept that game for about a year. I saw that in a shop. The thing that eventually got me around to returning this, because I was paying five quid for this game every month. I saw it in CEX for two pounds. I thought, you know, I've just paid like nearly 60 quid for this game. Jesus. So, yeah, yeah, I eventually sent it back and cancelled it. So, never done that again. But there's an example of having games and just putting them on your shelf and not playing them. And I I think you're right with Steam as well. Because with Steam, I'll be like, oh, this is on my wish list or this is on the sale and I'll get it. And then I'll never play with it again. I'd play two days and that's it. Yeah. I think it's, there's actually a name for that, isn't there, where you've got too much choice? It's like, what is it, 500 TV channels, you just sit there skipping through them all. There's nothing on. <laughs> yeah, yeah you know four I mean? channels, you're like, oh, great. <laughs> I used to watch way more TV when it was just like Channel 1 to 5 or something. Yeah. But it's like, you know, even if, if I put my meager on, you know, if I want half an hour on that, I spend half an hour just going through WHD load. Like, what have I got then? You know, <laughs> like, I, I I think it's like I pay I play only one percent of the games that I own or yeah. something, and I continue playing them constantly, and everything else is just gathering dust. Pretty sad, isn't it? So. It is. Yeah, yeah. So, if if you're kind of getting a bit frustrated with your own game buying, then I suggest selling it and buying more games consoles. <laughs> that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, I, I've got stuff like EverDrives and that. I'm not bothered about having the original games. And it is cool having everything on one device that you can just put on and play. Yeah. Which kind of leads quite nicely into the next story. Obviously, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. The Super Nintendo Mini is coming Ooh, soon. Yes. Now, do you remember before when the, the NES Mini came out, there was loads of eBay scalpers buying them up in shops? Straight and... away. Straight away, there was a massive... Even with pre-orders, wasn't there a, a massive market on eBay? Well, eBay now, in a bit of a turnaround, are pulling down SNES Mini listings to combat scalpers. If anybody could get eBay to do that, it would be Nintendo, wouldn't it? You know, they'd be like, right. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, there's an article here on Funstock Retro, and they're talking about, you know, did Nintendo come down from the heavens on them and, like, you know, make them stop it? Apparently not. It's always been in the eBay official guidelines that you can only advertise um, something for pre-order if it's ready for postage within 30 days ah, of the listing. Okay. And this doesn't come out until their uh, 29th of September. So at the moment, those listings go against the rules. So they've been going through and just pulling them all down as soon as they go up. Go up. I, th- I suppose that's fair if it's, if it's against their rules. Yeah. yeah, and it's like... And also, I mean, I noticed Amazon are limiting one console per customer. That's, that's a bit weird. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I understand the whole, like, you know... We live in a commercial market, you know, the free free trade and all that. But it is annoying if someone really wants to get their hands on one. And, you know, especially when it comes out in September, you think the holiday market's coming up then. Um, maybe a lot of people want to get them for, you know, relatives for Christmas and stuff. It is annoying if one guy's gone in and just bought the entire <laughs> stock and then selling them for double on eBay. Yeah. I get, you know, enterprise and all that, but it's like, it is a bit unfair. It is. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to think of this because I've, I've never pre-ordered anything or any kind of console and uh, I'm not really interested in those minis I, I like I like the originals more that's the thing the original kind of hardware but I can see why other people like them and it's strange isn't it it's like there's this kind of now two tiers of retro <laughs> you've got like tier one which is the original and tier two which is the remakes yeah <laughs> and yeah so maybe there'll point. be a third tier going on the 4K versions. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm hoping is that because you know we we've we've talked about this before that these kind of restyled mini consoles are more for the casual market, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. It's totally. a guy that will walk past like HMV's window and be like, "Oh, I used to have one of them," and it might you might nostalgia blast, yeah. But he probably hasn't played one for like 25 years. Not like us who's got the originals and the you know, the flashcards yeah. and all that. Mega nerds. But what I'm hoping is it might be a bit of a gateway for people and they might be like, oh, I remember like, you know, I used to have a Mega Drive as well. Maybe look on eBay and then, you know, True. Oh, I found, I found True. a podcast about that kind of stuff. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> if we could find any way to slip our podcast uh, flyer into the NES Minis, <laughs> SNES Minis, that would be good. Well, our good friend Paul Kitching has made us a rather nice flyer. Which, oh uh, yeah, he has, and uh, we'll make that available on the site if anybody, if any of you guys want to print them off and uh, wear them as a suit or make bed clothes. Or... Hang on, Ravi, are you encouraging people to go to our website, download our flyer, go into shops and slip it into the boxes of SNES? <laughs> I think that's outrageous. 
<laughs> or they could make wallpaper, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we can't stop them if you, if you want to do that kind of thing. Now, before we get into this week's interview, just a little follow-on from that, actually. Something for the original SNES heads here. There is a new mouse that's just come out for the SNES. Okay. Now, I, I didn't, was there any, what, is it Mario Paint, or is that the only supporting mouse game? Well, it's got me thinking. I was like, this is quite a niche product, even for like a retro thing. And this is the HyperClick retro-style mouse for the SNES uh, by a company called Hyperkin. And they're selling these, you know, a pretty decent price. It just came out this month, $19.99. And it comes in a box that looks like the original mouse. It's kind of got the American, you know, purple color buttons on it. But it looks like a retro mouse. And it's got the SNES um, yeah. connector on there as well. And I thought that. I thought, well, I remember my friend had Mario Paint. And he had the mouse with it as well. Yeah, I was thinking, are they that rare that they can actually be a market to replace them? Well, I googled games that support the mouse on the SNES, and there's actually about three pages worth. Oh wow! On Wikipedia, <laughs> a lot of them are Japanese-only games. Are quite interesting. Okay, so maybe RPG Crew and all of those. Yeah, guys. you're yeah. probably right, actually. Um, but even some other stuff, I thought maybe like you know Lemmings, but Lemmings doesn't apparently. <laughs> Lemmings Two does on the SNES. Oh, that's good. Uh, Cannon fodder. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Which is one of those games, it's like, I've played Cannon Ford on the 3DO, it's not too bad with the, the D-pad. On the CD32, I'm like, come on, wait yeah, for the mouse yeah. to move and stuff. So that is one of those games I think you really do need a mouse for. Um, other stuff in here as well, like uh, Wolfenstein 3D, you can play that with the mouse on, cool. the, uh, on the Super Nintendo. So there is quite a lot of games actually looking at it. I was quite surprised at how many actually supported the SNES mouse. Because I'd only used the mouse for at the uh, MVA for Mario Paint and the uh, Mario Music creation yeah. thing as well that they had. Yeah, it's quite nice. Yeah, it really feels weird, though, using a mouse and a SNES. I remember <laughs> when my like... friend had it. I had the Amiga 1200 at home, he had a SNES, and I went around and he got Mario Paint off his mum or something. And I was like, what's that kiddie-looking toy? You know what I mean, looking at the mouse. <laughs> yeah. So it did look weird, though, you're right. But I think, you know, if you're playing like Wolfenstein 3D with a mouse... You're kind of halfway towards that PC experience, maybe. Yeah, what, do you use the D-pad on one side, like the AS? <laughs> I've got no idea. Yeah. I want to try it now, though. Yeah. Maybe I'll pick one of these That'd up. be a good video, Dan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I might get one of these. only $19.99. So if you do want to buy one, you know, again, it's quite a niche product, but pretty cool to make new ones. I'll put that in this week's show notes at theretrohour.com. Right then, well, thank you for checking out episode number 79 of the Retro Hour podcast. Nice early night for us tonight, Ravi. Yeah, yeah, got to save that energy for the stage. Yeah, we're going to go pick you up, crack it on tomorrow morning, oh, set that alarm. <laughs> what time are you working till? Midnight? Night before? Uh, yeah, so this is good. Actually, I'm working till 1am and then we're getting up at 7, so I may be slightly crazy when we're there. I'm picking you up at 7, that alarm for 6. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to this. Now you're going to have an unwashed Ravi in the car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe you can uh, get the train or something. <laughs> yeah, roof so, rack. <laughs> so we are, you know, so excited about this weekend if you are coming down to uh, play expo do come and check us out in the talks area it's going to be you know if you love this show essentially like a live retro hour podcast and now let's talk all about play expo because it is coming up this weekend with the md of replay events and console passion andy brown is our special guest on this week's show and we'll see you next week ciao You're listening to the Retro Hour podcast as we get ready for the biggest gaming weekend of the year, Play Expo in Blackpool. And we thought, to give you a little flavour of what's going to be happening this weekend, we get on the main man, Andy Brown, the MD of Replay Events and Console Passion. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hello, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. Now, um, obviously, very big event coming up in Blackpool. Uh, Play Expo Blackpool, which you know we did go to the last couple of years, all oh, such an amazing weekend, and we're looking forward to getting into the details of that in just a minute. But I thought it might be quite interesting to find out a bit about your personal history with gaming and computers. So, where did it all begin for you then? What was your first ever experience with a computer? Well, pre-computers, before home computers became a popular thing, because I live in Blackpool, mm. my first experiences with, with gaming would have been going to, to the arcades and playing things like Galaxian. What would have been like in the, in the really early 80s. Uh, and then uh, I got um, a Big 20 and then stuck with Commodore all the way through. So I was, I was in the Commodore camp. So I went to, to uh, Commodore 64, which everyone knows was better than the Spectrum, and then an Amiga, which everyone knows was better than its RST. Oh, you're going to start some wars here. <laughs> were, were you start ever... with controversy. Start as I mean to go on. Were you ever into pinball or any of that stuff? 
Not, not so much, not so much, which is a weird thing because they were in Blackpool. Do you know what, as well? I wasn't, I was, I was a really short kid. I'm still quite short now. And I couldn't quite get and reach and see what was going on with the pinball table. So they didn't quite hold my interest as much as, as, as the arcade machines. But, I mean, you know, you talk about the seasides and stuff back in the 80s, and that was where it was at in the arcades. You'd go there for all the hot new games. I mean, I imagine living there, you went in every weekend then, I take it. Summer holidays literally would be get up in the morning, get on, get on bike, go down the arcades, and what we what we do, me and my mates, we go, you know, the rejected coins. You'd go round trying to find when people had, the coins had been rejected and they'd not figured out that they were in the bottom. And you could like get like a quid in ten p's, which would be enough to like play for for the whole afternoon if you're any good. So yeah, it was literally that would be pretty much every day. I think we used to get money by, uh, you know, knocking onto those like, you know, ten p shove oh, the machines. Machine. Yeah, they were all alarmed. <laughs> they were all alarmed. They were, they were, they were more savvy in Blackpool. <laughs> <laughs> so, what kind of, um, you know, machines do you really remember playing on then? Are there any that really stick in your mind that really formed like your gaming experiences? Do you know what I remember? And not many people remember this. It's a weird little game. I don't know why this this stands out for me, but a game called Peter Pack Rat. And no one really remembers it. It was, it was a really obscure game where you were this rat and you went around the tunnels and had to collect all these like bottles and, and various discarded uh, rubbish and then you'd go back to your rat den. And no one else seems to remember it. Apparently it's a really, really rare game, but I always remember that one. I think the things that kind of uh, stand out for me are, are the, the, we were lucky in Blackpool because we had arcades that had sit-down outrun, sit-down afterburner and sit-down space harrier. So I always remember them. I mean, that... Seeing Space Harry for the first time was just, wow, oh, it moves. It's incredible. And it was £2 a go as well. That's the funny thing I remember about it. it had the, and £2 coins had just come out, and it was £2 a go. I always remember, do you remember that Sega um, R360 thing? That was about two quid ago as well. It was out, that. that was an afterburner that went upside down, basically. Yeah. It's that gyroscope. Yeah, it went upside <laughs> yeah. down. You'd always puke afterwards, you'd had too much that candy floss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, did you go to any kind of gaming shows or exhibits or you know even what? markets? I, o- I only found out, because we run our um, show at the Norbert Castle, which has been having exhibitions since like 60s, since forever, since time began, I think. And I, when, when we first started doing play uh, Blackpool there, one of the guys who'd been at the hotel for years and years and years were like, oh yeah, we used to have the arcade exhibition show here. And I was like, what? I, how did I not know this? Literally on my doorstep for years was an arcade exhibition where you could go and play all the new arcade games. This was like in the 80s and 90s. Uh, and no, and I never, never went. I, kind of, I feel like I really missed out. It was hard to find stuff out in the pre-internet age though, wasn't it? This is true, yes. That was it. I mean, I'd get, you know, same as everybody, I'd get all the magazines, but I think it was, this was more something that was maybe a trade thing. So you had to be, I guess, you know, own an arcade or have some connection to the arcade. So it's, maybe it's not, you know, maybe it's something I wouldn't have been able to go to, but I still feel like I missed out. I'm not bitter. (laughs) (laughs) You've made up for it since. (laughs) Yes, that's it, yeah. Talking of magazines, I mean, which were your favourites when you were a kid then? Which ones did you always pick up? Um, Well, like I said, because I was um, Commodore, it was uh, Zap64. But I read read Zap64 and Commodore User, and that was another thing. It was weird. You were either Spectrum or Commodore, and then when when you'd chosen which side you were on, you'd then have have to make other decisions. So you were either Zap or, or Commodore User, but I used to get them both. So, did too much you, time on my hands, obviously. Did you also uh, kind of get into any games collecting, or were, were a lot of the discs copied or anything like that? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. I wouldn't have even known how to copy a disc. X-copy. Play, 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 record, play. <laughs> Yeah, because I think, you know, we, we've talked about that on our show before, that it was such a prevalent thing at school. I mean, you know, I think everyone had, like, you know, a playground copy party every now and then. There were, uh, you know, every school in Britain had them back in the day. That was it. And you get a, 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 a twin tape deck, mm-hmm. and you, you tell your mum and dad, oh, yeah, so I can listen to music. No, it's just so you can copy games. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting music you've got on there, son. What's that? <laughs> it's really futuristic. Yeah, you wouldn't like it. <laughs> Did uh, you get into any of the consoles later on? My brother had a um, master system because I, I, I was a big Sega fan, like I said, arcades, outrun, and things like that. So when the master system came out, and you know, I, I found I could get outrun on it, space area. Don't know why, I thought it would be exactly the same. I don't know, I thought my chair might move or something, or it would be some hydraulic pack that you could fit in. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we got uh, the master system, uh, but then when, when the Super Nintendo came out, I was a bit older then, I think I was more towards when I was at university. 
so yeah, kind of kind of lost lost my way a bit with gaming then because alcohol and, and other things. <laughs> oh, it's a. I think we all had those years where you became preference. became cool for a couple of years. <laughs> I'm still cool now, honestly. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> but you made an interesting point there that, you know, you would often, you go to the arcades because the games were superior to your home console. I mean, was there a stage when you started to see that kind of turn? When 32-bit era came in, so with the PlayStation came back in, the, 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 the games, the arcade games were so similar. So I remember getting um, Soul Blade, was it Soul Calibur? I can never remember which way around it was. Soul, yeah, Soul Blade, and it, and it seeming like it was arcade perfect. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was the point when when the home consoles caught up with the uh, with the hardware that was at the arcades. And now, obviously, it's the other way around. It's bizarre. Well, I know before we did the interview, you were talking about, you know, you were playing the uh, the new Crash Bandicoot just before we started recording this. And the PlayStation was, I mean, it was such a revolution, wasn't it? I think it must have been quite an exciting time to get back into gaming after taking a bit of time away. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it was a very different experience, I think, getting getting back into it. Um, it was a much more social experience, whereas... Uh, when when my memories of gaming when I was younger was not do, not not playing games on, on my own all the time, but a lot of it would do you know uh, kind of after school playing whatever manic manic jets at Willy something like that. But then um, yeah, you get your friends around play sensible soccer or something like that. But when PlayStation came out, I remember going out coming back home after going to a club and like like ten of us all taking turns playing Wipeout and things like that. It was a very different experience, much more social, much more social. It felt like gaming kind of grew up with us, didn't it? Yes, yeah, definitely, yeah. That was it. That, I think that was what, that's what Sony did really well. They took uh, gaming that was previously, I think, seen very much as, uh, and I don't want to be detrimental to anybody that played games at the time that was older, but it was seen as a kid's activity, I think. Mm-hmm. And they made it more a more mature thing. Part of that was by having games that were, were age-rated, but part of it was you know very clever uh, advertising uh, and artwork and, and tuning into things that were cool at the time, like having uh, PlayStation pods in clubs, in Ministry of Sound, using uh, DJs and artists to promote it that were, were cool at the time. So that's how it kind of took it to an older generation, and it's never changed since then. It's never reverted back. So that's you're definitely in Sony's, uh, Sony's credit to do that. So how did you kind of move from that into, you know, event organising, and did you have, like, a little trial-run event or small, start small and get big? Or? Well, I own, I own a retailer, I own an online retailer, I own Console Passion, which is a retro games retailer, and that's a completely different story how I got into that. Uh, but doing events was, um, I'd done retail at uh, lots of, there'd been smaller sort of retro game shows up and down the country, but nothing, they weren't particularly cohesive, it was maybe done in a pub or, or, or a small church hall and that type of thing. Uh, and then myself and the two previous directors of Replay, we we looked to um, take all the different elements of the different shows that were going on around the country and put them all together in one collective sort of space. So make it a bit more organised, and that was the first uh, replay expo in, in, in Blackpool. So that's how I got into doing events. Well, I'm interested in the story of Console Passion because, I mean, did you kind of notice a stage where retro gaming became of interest to people? I mean, it was a kind of a turning point when you, th- you thought this could be a viable business. I didn't ever start it out as a business. It was something I accidentally fell into. So, and I think I, I would say that a lot of retailers would have a similar sort of experience in that they didn't say, wake up one day and say, I'm going to have a business. What am I going to do? Oh, I think Retro Games is going to earn me lots of money. They would have been gamers themselves. They would have probably, you know, initially bought big collections and then we're selling off their collections in it as a way to make uh, to buy other games and at some point would have said, actually, I'm making a bit of money here on the side, which is pretty much exactly how it was for me. Because it's quite interesting, I bought like, you know, I, I got out of gaming for a few years and I remember buying like a, an Amiga 600 off eBay and my housemate at the time, this was probably about like 2006 or something, and he was like, oh, what do you want that old thing for, laughing at it? This same guy now has got a Mega Drive, a Super Nintendo and <laughs> stuff, so, I mean, were you always into like these systems or was there a stage where you kind of look back and rediscovered them? That, that was it, that was, uh, like I said, accidentally falling into having a business. I had a snares when I was at university, sold, sold it off, and I think it was like Donkey Kong Country was the game that I played and never finished. And then maybe five years later, when I was working full-time and I had more, more income, because I sold, I sold my SNES console to, to buy beer, probably, or something <laughs> like that, and I wanted to get the console again, so I bought a second-hand SNES, which came with a bunch of games, but it didn't have the game that I wanted, 
uh, eBay had just started, and I, I bought Donkey Kong Country on eBay, but it was quite a bit of money. But then I sold all the extra games that came with SNES that I bought second-hand on, on, on eBay and, and ended up paying for the console and for the game that I wanted. And I thought, oh, this is, this is quite good. This, that was nice and easy and just ended up doing it like that. Well, I, I always found that eBay, well, especially nowadays, is kind of extortionate with some of the prices. And uh, console passion seems to be pretty reasonable, which is good. Uh, does that kind of help you grow? It, it did. Do you know what? I, I will be honest. Initially, when I started the business, I used to get quite a lot of backlash for my higher prices. But what, what, how I used to sort of uh, set myself apart from the competition at the time was I would only sell, and I still do, only sell games that are complete and boxed with their manuals. So, and my unique selling point was that when people bought from me, they knew that they were going to get what I would consider to be a collector-grade uh, item. Uh, and to a lot of people, that wasn't, and still isn't really that important. There's quite a few people out there that will just want to buy the game to play the game. So if they see, you know, whatever game copy of X game, and it, it, it seems to be, you know, 10 quid more than anywhere else, that doesn't make sense to them. But to a collector, if they know they're getting a game that's, you know, got a mint manual and a mint box, that is very important. So that's, yes, ironically now, um, my, my prices are kind of, because, it, like you say, eBay has gone up so much, and because there's so many people out there who will find something at car boot sale and sell it for twice the price it should really retail for, my prices probably seem now quite re- reasonable. But, you know, I've always had, I've, I've always had the same sort of mark upon them, uh, and I still do try and only sell items that are collector grade. I don't sell, like, loose cartridges or damaged goods or anything like that. Well, I think it kind of proves, you know, how, how much more mainstream retros become in the last couple of years, the fact that the prices are going up so much on eBay. And, I mean, have you kind of noticed that in terms of, like, console passion and, like, your shows as well? Are they they become more popular over the last decade? The, the events, I mean, every year our events grow. Um, and, and definitely retro is, like, the super hot thing at the moment. As you were saying before, Crash Bandicoot, they just remade that. They did, they did Wipeout uh, Amiga Collection, I think it's called, is it? Uh, Omega Collection a few weeks ago. Nope. Mag Machines, the new Mag Machines game. So there's lots of kind of retro-y type games being remade. The, the Super, Super Nintendo uh, the remake console just completely blew the internet away and it's sold out absolutely everywhere. The same with, the, with the, the, the NES console. So retro is super hot at the moment. Everyone really, really kind of looking for that kind of hit of nostalgia at the moment. Well, uh, I think a great thing about your event is that you kind of split the areas into zones. So... You know you say retro's hot at the moment, but you also have, like, pro play and you have cosplay and you have all the different elements of play, and I think that's really good because you're bringing in a different audience. Probably not as much now because retro is much more mainstream. I wouldn't even class it as niche, but even three, four years ago, it was still a, a niche part of, of gaming. So we would do... We started out doing retro shows, but then we brought in the other more modern gaming elements... So what we would find is people would come to our show, um, like you say, to see the latest games, to see the Nintendo Wii U when it first came out. But then they'd go, oh, cool, look over there, there's some old games and consoles. We'd go and play them and we'd have a really good time. And a, and a lot of the time what we found was people were saying to us, you know what, I, only, I came to play the new Call of Duty game or I came to play you know, whatever game it was that we had that we were previewing there. But they found that they had a better time playing the older stuff and, and, and you know, playing four-player Bomberman or something like that. There must be a lot of that kind of, you know, the guy that goes in and then sees it and he's, oh, I've not seen that for decades. And... Oh, I love it all the time. It's one of my favourite things about the show. Um, in, the, in the few moments that I do occasionally get to walk around when I'm not running around like a headless chicken, just seeing people playing stuff and, and you know, a little bit of people watching, if I can take some time out, seeing their reactions, especially when it's like families, dad showing the kids stuff, love that, or, or you know, uh, uh, some bloke showing his girlfriend what he played when he was a kid. It, it really is. It, yeah. And I'm not, I don't mean to sound like, uh, like cliche, but it really is quite priceless to, mm. to watch that. And it's one of the things I like the most. It's definitely the rewarding part of the business. You sit there, see those people having a really good time, and you think, well, it's actually all been worthwhile you know, doing this show. It was worth the hardship. <laughs> well, the best thing I've seen there is the queue for the old-school 90s VR was much bigger than the one for the Oculus or the HTC. <laughs> it was amazing. Mm. In, in the guys from the Retro Computer Museum that bring that, you know, they do a fantastic job. But they've got they've got two of them, and they link them up. You know, there's there's nowhere else in the country apart from at the Retro Computer Museum that you can you can see that and do that. So 
that's the thing, VR, Oculus, HTC Vive, it's great that we have them at the show, and quite often we get preview stuff, but you can actually have that home, but that old, super old, you know, 19, uh, 1990s VR experience, it's not like anyone's got one of those at home, so it's quite a unique thing to have that. Yeah, Ravi and I played the, I think it's like a pterodactyl game on it or something. We felt a bit spaced out for about two days after. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a bit weird, isn't it? It kind of makes your vision go a bit blurry when you come out of it. Well, I've, I've found that I've gone to lots of kind of, you know, corporate events and trade show. They have that kind of trade show feeling where they're trying to sell you something and they're kind of, you know, uh, pressurising you. Where, as I feel when I go around your events, it's very kind of open and there's a relaxed fun element about it how do you achieve that um i mean i think those events that you're talking about do have their place and i'm certainly not gonna knock knock those and there's a lot of people that are really interested and 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 look forward to going to that and getting their you know first hands on of a new and up and coming game and are quite happy to have that as you say you know you know kind of forced upon them because they're going to buy that anyway um for us um it's it's not that we purposely try and uh, uh, avoid that. I think, you know, our, it's, it's what we've, we've grown from. We've grown from retro, and it's what our audience wants. So, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll get some publishers along if they're a fit for our event. It, if you look at the sort of games that we run, there's no, it's no coincidence that last year we had a VR game, but it was Battlezone. We, have, uh, we had uh, a fighting game, but it was Tekken. They're all games that we already have either a history, a game history, or a part of a franchise that is, you know, uh, maybe a few years old, so fits with our demographics. So people will go to the show, they'll play the original Tekken, they'll go, oh, I'm going to go and see the new Tekken game, or oh, I wouldn't mind seeing Battlezone, seeing it on the PSVR to see what it's like. Um, I think if we stuck, uh, you know, the latest Call of Duty, and yes, there'd be quite a lot of people that'd be interested in playing it, but we wouldn't get the same reaction from our audience that we were that, that, that say one of the big consumer shows in London do because our audience are interested in playing a much broader spectrum of games and and, and you know would would spend more time with indie and, and like like you say go and play some retro stuff and have a go on a retro tournament and play some arcade games and pinball so it's it's not what our audience specifically would want. I mean, you mentioned the arcades there, and to me, that is one of my favourite things about play, just walking around and, like, seeing... You know, you have hundreds of free-play cabinets all there, and you're like... The queues for them are quite big sometimes, because they're very popular, I imagine, but, I mean, for a guy like you that grew up in Blackpool, that it must be great and very nostalgic seeing all these machines again. Mm. Yeah, but I never had to queue in Blackpool, so there's an irony there. <laughs> <laughs> how, do you, how do you get all the arcades in? Are these ones that you've got, or do you rent them in? Or? It's, uh, we, we, there's uh, a company we've been working with for, for, for the last five years called Retro Games Party, and they provide all our cabs. Uh, we've got a really good relationship with James, the owner. He's, you know, he's a fantastic guy, very knowledgeable, gets new stuff in all the time. Uh, he's like a walking encyclopedia for electronics, so when something goes wrong, he can fix it. And, uh, you know, we, we, it's, it's, it used to be really difficult getting all the arcade cams when we started out because it was supplied by loads of collectors who, you know, they were great. We really appreciated it. But the logistics and the coordination of having maybe 20 or 30 different suppliers all over the country was a nightmare. So now having it done by one guy and just knowing that we can leave it to him and he, he's very professional and he'll come in and he'll say, I'm going to bring these games and here's I'm going to set it out in this floor plan and here's what I need for my electrics. As an organiser, that's it's 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 really it's it's kind of what you want. It's you know it's the golden ticket. It's like someone who makes your life a lot easier rather than having an element of the show that really is like one that you're kind of really dreading managing. And does he help with the uh, pinball machines? Does he provide those as well? No. Funnily enough, that is a group of collectors. That's uh, Northern Lights Pinball bring all the pinball machines in, but they they coordinate that all themselves. Uh, so at the start of the year, they tell me how many machines they're going to bring, what they need. We have a very kind of nice backwards and forwards conversation, uh, and they say, we need this, this, and this, and we'll bring in this machine. And then I give them what they need, leave them to it, and then they go and fulfill everything that needs. So it's great. So all those pinball tables are in there, are owned by private collectors, and every year they bring them in and let everybody play them. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's great, and those guys are great, so we really appreciate that, what they do for us. They're like a work of art, you know, these pinball machines, like, you know, all the analogue relays and stuff like that. I just love the sounds and the look of them. And definitely, I think that's what people do like about it. It's something, uh, that, that's the thing, I think, why people... I love arcades, mm. uh, but, but I can totally see why people fall in love more 
with with pinballs because it's a it's a it's a very physical thing and you can't emulate it. I know there's those pinball tables now where it's a TV screen that's on the flat and and, and you've, it's really clever, but it's the physical, it's the movement of it, and it's the unpredictable nature and it's that whole noise and sound and, and shaking and movement that that pinball has that that can't like I said can't be replicated on a on a on a on a on a, on a console. I mean, as gaming enthusiasts, you know, Ravi and I, we always look forward to um, your events. I mean, you've actually managed to make, like, kind of a gaming calendar of events throughout the year. And obviously, you know, we've, we've done, like, Blackpool and Manchester the last couple of years. But you've been expanding quite a lot. I noticed you had, like, a, events in Leeds recently. I mean, I, is it growing quite quickly then? Yeah, I think, like you say, as, 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 as Retro has become more mainstream, we've grown with that. Uh, and that's because there's been more demand for our shows. Um, there, w- there was, I'll be honest, there was a not concerned. I had some trepidation when we launched Leeds and Glasgow. I was concerned potentially that that might take some audience away from our existing show because we know that a lot of people from Leeds come to Blackpool and a lot of people from Glasgow came to Blackpool, etc., etc. But it isn't. I think what what we found is a lot of people that are already coming to Blackpool have said, "Fantastic! We've got our own local show. I'm still going to come to Blackpool." But now, a lot of my friends that weren't necessarily going to go to Blackpool because they're not into gaming quite as much as I am. They're going to go to Glasgow. And then what that's done is it's introduced retro and our gaming events to a broader spectrum of people. So people that wouldn't have necessarily travelled so far as our field as Blackpool from wherever they live, but they'll go to their local events. So we're actually, as we expand, we're creating our own audience. Well, it's kind of like you're starting to get national coverage of events, you know, in all of these different areas. And you're also doing these um, games markets. They seem massively successful. They, yeah, they are. But again, that was another that was another element. I was, uh, we we knew that they would do well because we know there's and, and, and obviously putting my retailer hat on. I know there's a demand from um, from retailers and from consumers for there to be a, a no frills event. You know, I'm not going to try and dress up what those markets are. They are just that. They are markets. They're not, you know, they're not glossy and, and nicely branded like our. Um, play expo events are it's very much you turn up you pay a small amount of money on the door and you go and you walk around some stores and buy some stuff and, and what we found is consumers were saying we or, or our attendees were saying we love your events and we love shopping as well and we're really toured it's like we want to get there we want to do some shopping but we haven't got a huge amount of time because you've got lots going on at your event so that's you know there was already some markets around I'm not going to say we came up with the, with the idea, but that's why we knew from what our, what, what our audience was saying to us that, that, that it would be successful. But my, my concern as, as an organiser was, well, is that going to mean that our exhibitors won't come to our events because they're just going to do the markets? But because, as we said before, retros become so popular, there's actually enough demand for them to do the markets and our own events. And I think as well, I mean, I love actually going to the markets because you can actually see the products and, like, you know, examine them yourself. And also, you often get better prices than you do on eBay as well, I find, still. Yeah, and there's some haggling. It's, it's, that's part of the fun. Like, you know, the guys that work on, on Console Fashion, the store, they're always, like, happy to, you know, if someone will say, oh, if I buy this and this and this, will you give me a bit off? And, you know, it's a bit, a bit of banter and that kind of thing. You don't get that when you buy it online. And as you say, you know, you, you, you can't physically inspect something. And if you are a collector and the condition of the box and the, the cartridge and the Manual is important to you. You can get those out and you can look at a market, and that's why they do well. That's why the collectors like them. But then also, they're appealing to people that are just casual. I think people come along saying, "Oh, I just wanted to come along and check this out." And I saw you had a PlayStation, and I've not, I've not played PlayStation for years, so I went and bought a PlayStation. So I think the markets are, are, are an opportunity for people to, to maybe get back into retro game or to get into retro gaming and to get into collecting for the first time as well. See, I'm collecting for the Atari Jaguar at the moment, but, you know, you've got to get there pretty early in the day. I think I had one Jaguar game last show. It's not my biggest seller, I'll be honest. <laughs> I, I probably bought it. <laughs> it probably was. I was collecting for CD32, but I've given up because I know there's no way I can get a complete one with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so you also do kind of hires and corporate events. You know, you've worked with some uh, companies like The Gadget Show, displaying some stuff on television, and also the BBC. Um, what's your most interesting kind of job been? We, 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 we do a lot. Actually, the, the corporate stuff we do, we do almost do, in fact, we probably do more corporate events than we do our own events. It's a quite a good fit for um, tech shows and, and tech conferences and things like that. So uh, blue chip companies, really good tech companies, so Google, Microsoft, if they've got a conference, then in the evening they like to do some breakout stuff. And I think it, it works quite well. They, it, they're 
selling or, or demonstrating cutting-edge technology, and they then juxtapose that with some older gaming and some older consoles, and that works really well in those environments. Uh, and they tend to be techie people that have been gaming for years anyway. Uh, but like you say, we've also done quite a lot of telly stuff. We did uh, we provided all the kits for Dora O'Brien's uh, Go 8-Bit, the last few series. Uh, we've done the BAFTA Awards for several years. We've done the After Party for them. So that that's one of the best gigs we've done, definitely, because we all got to go to the BAFTAs and got to sit on the table, and Boris Becker was there, and Dara O'Brien, and lots of gaming people, and, and lots of celebrities as well. And, yeah, that's quite cool. So some, sometimes we get cool stuff like that. Well, you must have, you know, a warehouse of, like, systems. I mean, what what are some of the most interesting and rare systems that you've got then? We think... Um, Pioneer Laserdisc, that's a, that's a quirky one. Um, PCFX, Virtual Boy, it's not super rare, but that's one that's always always gets a lot of interest at shows, hmm. the Virtual Boy, because, uh, uh, again, it's something that isn't quite able to be emulated because of the 3D nature, and it's a weird-looking console, and it's red, and whereas other consoles at the time were grey, it's this bright red thing, so... I think that's quite a cool thing that we have. It's one of my favourites. And that and, and the Vectrex, I love the Vectrex. I still think it's one of the coolest consoles ever. Yeah, Ravi's uh, quite keen to get his hands on one. Oh, yeah, yeah, and we've got, I'll tell you what we're doing this year at Blackpool is we're going to have, we've got a few Vectrexes with two controllers, so we're going to have two-player games on the Vectrex. Oh, wow. Oh, I've got to give that a go. That's the only time I've ever seen Vectrex or at your events. <laughs> <laughs> you would not believe how many of them we go through a, a, a year. We must go through like four or five. They just, they're not, they're like 30, 40 years old and we get them in and they've probably not been switched on for like five, ten years. They've been in people's attics and things like that. And then we run them for like ten hours, being <laughs> hammered for two, three, four days and at the end of it they just, they just go, no, no, that's it. I've had enough. <laughs> so in, in the warehouse which we do have a warehouse as well there's a shelf and it has honestly about 20 vectrex that i keep saying i'll find someone that repairs those one day and get them fixed <laughs> we could literally do a vectrex tribute show with the if we got them all fixed we've got that much uh, we've got that many consoles any any vectrex engineers listening <laughs> there we go yeah please do get in touch contact at replayevents.com <laughs> Well, obviously, I mean, we're all very excited about Blackpool. I mean, what would you say are going to be uh, some of the highlights this year? Then, what you're looking forward to? I'm looking forward to. We have a staff party on the Saturday <laughs> night, so we, uh, by the time Saturday comes, my job as the organizer is pretty much done because the, the team take over and run the event, and, and I'm just firefighting. My work's all done beforehand, so it's my hair down time on Saturday night, and everything's set up. So we literally there's there's only about forty, fifty of us in there, so we can pretty much play on anything we want. And because we've got a sit-down outrun and a sit-down afterburner, that's pretty much where you're going to find me most of the night. That's what I'm looking forward to. A bit sleep-deprived on the Sunday, then, I imagine. Um, I'm more, I've got two young kids, so I'm permanently sleep-deprived. <laughs> well, you know, you made an interesting point. It must take quite a long time to set up the, the showroom, though. It ta- uh, Blackpool takes two days. We, we, it used to take us three. We've, we've, we've pretty much nailed it now because the, t- the team, we, you know, we do about 14 events a year and then all the corporate ones, you know, it can be like 2025. 20, um, and so, you know, we, we've, we've put some great systems in place to, um, to get stuff set up quickly and, you know, we, 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 we do the shows quite regularly, but we're, we're much better at doing them than we were in the early days. Uh, you don't want to, I'm not joking, it was so difficult at first having 30 different CRT TVs all with different remote controls, needing to tune them all in. It, yeah, now we've just got like every TV's the same. We don't use remotes because you control them from the front. We don't use RF, we've got SCART. So just over the years, we've learned how to set up a lot quicker uh, and get everything done a lot quicker. But uh, Manchester still takes like three and a half, four days. Hmm. That's our big one. Yeah, it's a massive venue, though, isn't it, Manchester? Yeah, I mean, it takes we because it's, it's sixteen thousand square meters. Which, when when the venue's empty, you look at it and it, it seems twice as big as it actually is. And I still, when I go in there the first day of the show, we 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 mark out with chalk. So we've got a floor plan and we mark out where everything goes. And then the team come in and they drop the electrics and they build. And at the point when I'm marking out with chalk, I'm like, well, we never. We're never going to get everything set up. It just seems such a huge uphill task. But the, you know, we we have fifty people working on um, play. You know, over the over the, the, the like five days that it takes, and we get it done. But yeah, that's it's hard work. <laughs> well, uh, I. I'd never taken Dan to a retro show, and uh, one of the first ones we went to was Play Manchester, and just the size of it 
It's phenomenal. I, I I couldn't believe that there was a show that big still going on, you know. Well, it's like an aircraft hangar, isn't it, that place when you walk in, I imagine, look at it. It's, uh... it, was, it was the distribution warehouse for Argos. That's mm. what it was previously. So that's where Argos had all their goods and they stored it. it was one of, it's one of the biggest like, spaces in the country. I think mm. it's the third biggest exhibition centre. So, yeah, 16,000 square metres is a lot of space to fill. So for people that may not have made the trip to uh, Play Expo before and you know, they might be thinking of coming to Blackpool this weekend, I mean, what, what's going to be happening at the show then? What can they expect to see? Um, as, as well as all the stuff that we would expect at a gaming show, so tournaments and lots of retro and arcades and pinball, all the things we've talked about. Um, I think a lot of the things that people are most interested in when they come to our events is the guests. So we, we, we've got some great guests this year. We've got um, David Pleasance, who was the former MD of Commodore, uh, and he was the guy who oversaw the, the rollout of the Amiga and did uh, all those fantastic packs like Batman pack and all those uh, did all the deals with Ocean and things like that. We've got, who else? We've got with System 3. So we've got Mark Hale, who's been the MD of System 3 for the last 30, 35 years, something along those lines. Uh, System 3 did Last Ninja, uh, Myth, uh, and Constructor, I think, was one of the more recent ones they did, and the Fer- a Ferrari racing game. So they've been in the, the industry for 30, 35 years. Uh, then we've got Jim Bagley, who's been to our show before. He's a great guy, Spectrum legend, and he's going to be talking about the ZX Spectrum next. He's going to actually have a working... Uh, I think he's going to have one of the very first actual full-build um, ZX Spectrum Next uh, machines, and he's going to be talking about that and how he's been um, working on that. Uh, the ZX Spectrum Next actually got launched. We, 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 we had a world exclusive, worldwide exclusive last year uh, about the launch of that console. Uh, sorry, computer. I'm trying to think who else have we got. Well, Big Boy Barry's going to be there as well, isn't he? He is, yeah, Alex. <laughs> Alex is great. I love Alex. He does our PR for us. Yeah. He's just—he's been in the industry for forever, and he knows everybody. And he—he's he, just such a good, fun guy, and he's got super loads of stories. And then you know, back back in the day in the nineties, he was on Games World, and he was Big Boy Barry. So yeah. <laughs> I know as well. You're going to be doing um, John Studley's going to be there, trying to do the uh, the new Pac-Man World Record. Yes. That's so we John did his perfect Pac-Man game at, at Play Margate, which was our our show down south that we did, and he did that about three years ago. Uh, and he always said, oh, I'd, you know, I'd love to come back and do it again. And there's the new Pac-Man 20th anniversary machine. And you, it doesn't have the kill screen. You can actually get further than that. So there's now a world record on that that is bigger. The, 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 the score is higher than the existing score. So he's going to try and beat that. So not content with getting the perfect game and doing everything on, on Pac-Man. He's now going to try and beat that. So Is that cool. the uh, giant machine? The giant Pac-Man one. I, that? The, what, is that the one they have at Namco? Is it Funscape? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I've not seen it myself. I think it's just, it's pretty much. I think it plays exactly the same as normal Pac-Man, except for it doesn't have the kill screen. You can go past that, so you can just basically keep playing and playing and playing. That's what I think. I think <laughs> I'm completely cool. and utterly speculating on this, and I'm hoping I'm right. Otherwise, someone's going to pick me up and go, "You were wrong about the Pac-Man game." You know, <laughs> uh, there's, you there's a few. I think there's a, a giant ten-foot wall Pac-Man as well that they've got. Yeah, they, they, yeah. and there's Pac-Man versus as well. You can, that you can play. I've seen that. There's an arcade version of that as well. So John could be playing for quite a long time. You might be clear in the venue. You might still be playing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm pretty certain he said to beat the record, he'd have to be playing for ten hours. Right. So he will literally be there. Straight away, and he would have to play until the show finishes. You know, I've also noticed you get quite an interesting mixture of people at play as well. It's you know similar to our podcast. We started doing this about eighteen months ago, and we assumed it was all going to be like you know guys kind of our age or a bit older. Uh, but actually, we get like a lot of you know people who are like fifteen, sixteen, getting in touch who want to like you know learn more about these systems that were before their time. I mean, do you notice you get quite a broad demographic? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've we've always promoted the show. Um, as family friendly so a lot of the marketing we do is, is is aimed at a broad audience we don't say oh come and have a weekend away with the boys or anything like that because mm. the, the, the weekend away with the boys they already know about the show um, so we don't need to market like that but also we, it, it is a great family environment because for start it's like 42 quid I think for, for, for a family ticket for the day and like as a parent myself you can't there's just very little you can get for that amount of money that's going to give you 10 hours entertainment for the whole family where you can just constantly do loads of different things so as you say you know it, it's a very family orientated show lots of different people and it, it I, you know I think I would agree with you first time I went to a gaming show I thought oh it's just going to be loads of you know 
45-year-old guy. Yeah. I'm nearly 45 myself now, so I have to put myself in that category. <laughs> um, and, you know, you get surprised. The, 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 if I break down our demographics, I look, you know, the, the, the split male-female is nowhere near as high in male as you'd expect. I think it's about 60-40 male-female. Lots of guys come with, a, with you know, with their girlfriends, uh, you know, wives, that type of thing. So the, the perceptions that you would have over gaming and retro gaming are definitely, uh, you know, kind of, knocked on the head if you come to one of our events and you're right it's a great place to kind of take kids and just get them completely worn out playing games that's it, you know? that, 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 that's it. there's loads of parents write to us no, I was going to say thank you my child slept last night and we had a break <laughs> The, the kids did. Oh, the kids come and the, and I get asked this a lot. Oh, you know, what what the kid? What's the kids reaction when they see see the, see the games? And the, you know, the first few times I saw it, I thought the kids are going to go, oh, what's this guy sort of thing? You know, petulant uh, uh, kids not interested. But they're, they're absolutely fascinated by it. The dad's showing them, and then by the end of the show, you see the kids, and the kids are more interested than the parents. You know, the dad's kind of got a bit bored, saying, so, "Oh, you know, I don't play it anymore." The kids will just be completely hooked on it, and it's because the same reasons that they appeal to us still apply that that simplicity that an addictive nature of them uh and it's just, you know same with ios games they they use the same sort of things it's you know some of the most successful ios games are really just very basic gameplay but it's that very addictive nature and that's what a lot of the really old retro games hold and you know that hasn't changed over time they're still super addictive yeah and they're all like you know the colors of them i mean they're designed to appeal to kids as well aren't they mm, yeah well, what does the future of uh, replay events hold? Then, is there any like plans for future shows or anything you want to do still? Um, we so as, as well as doing our own events, we do um, we, we work with a company called Showmasters who do the big comic cons all up and down the country. In fact, they do them in Europe. So we we do all their comic cons. So we're doing um, film and comic con London, which is for less like a hundred thousand people. It's insane. You think Manchester's big? That's just in London, it just eclipses anything we do. Uh, we run their gaming zones, and we've got some shows in Europe coming up. So we're doing Amsterdam and Dortmund, I think, this year. And, and, and we're looking at other um, new areas next year. So that's a, a bit of a jolly for the staff. I've got no shortage of people wanting to work that, funnily enough. <laughs> <laughs> a weekend in, in Amsterdam, yeah. <laughs> I'll work that. It's that's not, not a hard sell, is it, that one? <laughs> it isn't, no. No, I didn't have to, I didn't have to like, twist anyone's arm. Well, Andy, you know, we can't wait for Blackpool. It's always like, you know, one of the, the gaming highlights of the year for us. So uh, we're, you know, extremely looking forward to it. It's been great to have you on the show as well. Well, thank you very much. And uh, hopefully you'll get some time to at least play a couple of games this weekend. Ah, uh, well, like I said, Saturday night, that's it. You know where to find me. If you peer through the window, you'll see me sat on that run or after.